May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Welcome to the Dominion Podcast, episode number seven. Mm-hmm. I am one of your hosts, Jeremy Boyd. And I'm Alex. Uh, you know, we've never really introduced ourselves on the uh, podcast. We we just assumed it's just our, our friends and stuff listening. But Or we've assumed that everyone knows <laughs> us. <laughs> hey, I, I recognize that voice. That's Jeremy and Alex. <laughs> Don't even give our last names. Yeah. Hi, I'm J-Bo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't know me, my name's Jeremy Boyd. I fix ice cream machines, deep fryers, and grills for a living. I'm a member of uh, Westmount Bible Chapel, where I worship, and uh, am involved in some of the teaching and whatnot there. And uh, love being love being a saint. I'll tell yeah. you that. I love being a dumb sheep mm-hmm. following the good shepherd. Mm-hmm. So yeah. How about yourself? What, what is it you do? Yeah, I'm, I'm Alex. I'm a pastor at Hill City Baptist in Peterborough. And uh, married to Rebecca and have two beautiful children. And I love being a pastor. I love the gospel. I love the word. Um, I love doing this podcast. Yeah, me too. I'm really enjoying it. If you're following, we've been doing um, every week, we got three segments. We have a, the uh, true, the good, and the beautiful. We usually start out by talking about something mm-hmm. really important, and then we go to a couple other segments. So we're, we're going to start off tonight's true segment. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking, uh, going a little off script. Normally, we'll be talking about a, you know, an issue related to dominion, to the mm-hmm. dominion of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, and the dominion that we're to have in the world under his authority. But tonight, we're going to talk about something that's kind of on everybody's hearts and minds. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people have heard about the the case of uh, James Coates uh, yeah. out in Alberta. So mm-hmm. we're going to talk a little bit a little bit about that and how that relates to uh, the church in Canada. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't I just begin by reading for people who may not know what's going on? This is from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms website. Their lawyers representing uh, Pastor James Coates is Coates. How you say his name? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Pastor James Coates. So I'll just read this kind of summary of what's been going on. On February 7th, Pastor Coates held church as usual. After the service, RCMP presented him with an undertaking to agree to not contravene the public health orders of Dr. Dina Hinshaw by ceasing to hold church as he had been. He did not agree to the undertaking. At that point, the RCMP were supposed to take him immediately before a justice of the peace, but the RCMP did not do so. That's important because they actually broke protocol at that point. Pastor Coates again held church on Sunday, February 14th. On Monday, February 15th, by the way, before I continue, check out his sermon, February 14th, Grace Life Church. Grace Life Church, Edmonton. Yeah, it's easy to find on their website. Yeah. Yeah. Romans 13 and the role of the government. The best best thing I've heard in 11 months on Romans 13. Hmm. Uh, Really encouraging. So on February 15th, the RCMP asked Pastor Coates to turn himself in, and Pastor Coates did so. The RCMP charged him with contravening the public health orders and with breaching an undertaking, even though he did not agree to the undertaking. The bail hearing took place on Tuesday, February 16th. I might add, in secret. In secret, uh, yeah. they they told his family it was going to be. Uh, they would let them know when it was going to be, and then they just did it with nobody knowing. Yes, yeah. The Crown Prosecutor asked the court to keep Pastor Coates in jail until his trial, which will be at least several weeks uh, weeks away. It could be months. And his it's, lawyer clarified, it's looking like May. Wow. Yeah. And to be clear, 
the lawyer for James as well came out and said that's a highly unusual and unnecessary move. The prosecutor has uh, basically they can decide whether or not they want to push for that to keep them detained. It's totally unnecessary. Um, he is obviously an upstanding man. He has no criminal record. You know, he's a law-abiding citizen. Um, you know, they're get, they're releasing people from prison now because of COVID, and they're keeping. You wouldn't want a prisoner to get COVID because that would be unjust. Yeah, yeah, and, and the, <laughs> yeah. The court systems are backed up. You know, and here they are going out of their way to hold a guy until his trial, who's you know, in no no danger to anyone. So. Um, the justice of the peace ordered Pastor Coates released on the condition that he stop holding church services. The, the condition were actually that he stop being a pastor. Yes, that's what it actually said. Yeah, um, a, a condition he could not, in good conscience, agree to. Pastor Coates is currently in jail, awaiting trial, as he will not be released until he agrees to the condition, or the prosecutor agrees to withdraw the condition. So, Pastor Coates. Uh, Pastor James Coates is obviously not going to agree to this condition. Um, he's a man of integrity. He actually mm-hmm. believes the Bible. Uh, he would never set aside his responsibility to pastor the sheep. Mm-hmm. And he is uh, willingly bearing up under uh, the persecution of the state. Mm. I feel like a lot of the uh, podcasts we've done right now are sort of coming to bear on this. I'm thinking... Yeah, remember we talked about this? <laughs> I, I'm thinking of Authority, of the one we did on Sphere Sovereignty. Yeah. And um, uh, at the end, or in our show notes, we'll put in um, some email addresses that you can email yep. his members of parliament and that sort of thing. But I sent one off, and one of the things I said to them was, you don't have the freedom to impose on the Church of Jesus Christ, these regulations. Yes. Any more than Pastor Coates has the freedom to relinquish his uh, responsibilities. Yeah. He is an under-shepherd of the great shepherd, right? Yeah. You can't just walk away from your charge uh, because you're under the authority of a higher person, yes. right? I mean, how often do we see in the Old Testament the uh, the um, admonition of the shepherds of Israel not fulfilling their duty, yeah. right? You know, and they're supposed to be doing this and this and this, but they're... Uh, working for private gain and all that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Well, in Jesus, John 10, right? Like the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Yeah. And what do the hirelings do? They run away. They run away. When conflict <laughs> arises and when it becomes costly for them to exercise their duties, they flee. And the difference between a pastor and a hireling is a pastor stick around and James, Pastor James is a pastor. Yeah. So uh, just some more updates on that. Uh, obviously, we want to keep uh, him and his wife, Aaron, and their two sons yes. in our prayers. Yeah. Um, uh, she is hope, she's well supported by the the church there. There are I believe there's one other elder and two elders in training, mm. and I think the plan right now is to put the next guy in the pulpit every week. Yeah, and uh, if he gets arrested, put the next guy in the pulpit every week, and they're just going to keep going as long as they uh, as long as they're able to. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll fly out there for a pulpit supply chair. <laughs> I don't know if they have me, but I'm I'm, I'm sure would, they would. I would. Uh, <laughs> I Beck actually brought up to me like if they do any more of these you know demonstrations and mm-hmm. standing in solidarity with him, she really wants to get out there. There were people from Ontario that went yeah up yeah yeah. So we saw that and she's like, we need to honestly if they keep doing this, get tickets. So we just want to we want to talk about this. This isn't just a news uh, release. We want to talk about how should Christians be thinking about this and the reason. We want to talk about that. Well, one, historical context. As far as I know, and everyone I've heard say, 
the same thing. This is the first time in Canadian history, outside of Quebec with the Catholic Church and I believe some Baptist ministers, um, and in English-speaking Canada, uh, the pastors have been arrested for doing their job. And there'll be people who say, well, he wasn't arrested for doing his job, and we will, we'll get to those guys. Um, but this is a very unique situation. So whatever you feel about it, uh, this is a historic event. Yeah. Uh, this trial and the, the, whatever happens in court has major implications for religious freedom in Canada. And not yeah. just, it'll set a precedent yeah. that could go, you know, lead us down the path to tyranny. Yeah. A and lot it's, quicker. And not just for churches. I mean, this is mm. by God's grace, a Christian finally stood up for the cause of freedom, which is good for everybody. It is. Yeah. It's actually and, loving your neighbor. Yeah. Because how many people do we know whose businesses are shut down? Yeah. Uh, I just found out this week, uh, the old stone uh, yeah. brewery and hot belly mamas has closed its doors. Yeah. I worked there uh, for many years. Mm. I met my wife there. We worked there together. I did not know that. Uh, I was a friend of the, uh, of the uh, current owner and the previous owner and all wow. that sort of thing. So, I mean, that's, that's another business that's gone. That's, yeah. you know, two well, dozen jobs gone. Yeah. Right. That's so trying to, trying to keep the government from closing that guy's business is just as much of a loving thing that as trying to keep our churches open. Of right? course. There's, there's a secondary motive there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the first things we want to say about Pastor James is we just want to honor him. You know, I'm thinking about Paul's instruction to the Philippian church and, um, he says in Philippians 2.29, to honor such men, speaking of Epaphroditus, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And Epaphroditus was a servant. He um, sought to serve Paul on behalf of the Philippian church, and he did so at great cost to himself. And, uh, you know, it says something about the state of our hearts and about our sense of righteousness and what we honor. Right? Do we honor what is honorable or we, do we honor what is detestable? And when I see a lot of professing Christians dishonoring Pastor James Coates, uh, I think they need to be really concerned about the state of their soul. But mm-hmm. we're told as Christians, guys who serve well are worthy of double honor, mm-hmm. who lead well, Paul tells Timothy. Uh, guys who are willing to sacrifice, to take one on the chin, to put their money where their mouth is. Um, you know, who, when they're given an opportunity to walk free, they have integrity and they say, well, I'm not going to say that I won't and then go do that. You know, we ought to honor such people. Mm-hmm. And so we want to honor Pastor James. He he won't be listening to this in all likelihood, but uh, we want to encourage people to do so. Jeremy said he's going to leave some links in the show notes. You can get in touch with um, the authorities out there. Yeah. So a couple of objections I've I've read you know, from people and Rebecca has heard people make, um, again, I think my biggest concern in this and where I'd like to spend the majority of our time is just the response of Canadian Christians and pastors to this has been really concerning. And, uh, I remember for months people saying, you know, well, at some point, at some point, we would speak up. At some point, we would say something. At some point, it's You're no waiting it's just not for the now. right time to use your cultural capital. Yeah, you yeah. find the right time. <laughs> and pastors being arrested yeah. uh, when there's no demonstrable threat in any way to people's safety. They've been doing this for months and months and months. Not a single person has died. They did have someone die from cancer who was 
diagnosed months late because there's no screening and they mm-hmm. became terminally ill. Uh, but they have had no deaths from right. COVID. Right. But the justification for keeping him in jail is, of course, that he's a danger to the uh, the safety of the people in the province. Yeah. Which they don't even have, uh, apparently they don't even have to justify that claim. Yeah. You can just say it. Yeah, there's you not know. a shred of evidence for yeah. that. But that's important when we think about this, even morally and ethically, did he do the right thing? He, he is very demonstrably not a threat. And his church meeting is not a threat. We know in Peterborough, um, our public health unit came out and said in writing that there's been zero outbreaks linked to houses of worship in 11 months. I mean, I wasn't expecting that. I was fully expecting, of course, there will be outbreaks and, and that's even fine. But not even one. Yeah. Um, churches are not a threat to people. So one of the objections is when you say, oh, a pastor was, he was jailed for pastoring, for preaching the gospel. People come out of the woodwork and say, well, he wasn't jailed for preaching the gospel, uh, but disobeying the government. Right. Um, wrong. Uh, the government doesn't get to determine what the preaching of the gospel is. Yeah. So if you, it's the same kind of thing. The same kind of people say things like, we're not prevented from gathering. We can still do Zoom church. Or, or we we're can not still prevented have from gathering. We 10, can 10 people. 10 people. Together. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, if you want to redefine what Ecclesia means according to Scripture, when you come together, Paul says, on the Lord's Day, if you want to redefine what the church has understood for 2,000 years, what the Ecclesia is and does, corporately, everyone, publicly, once a week, coming together, um, if you want to redefine that, you don't have the authority to do that. Yeah, and here's the thing: it's if you degree, if you disagree with Pastor Coates' ecclesiology, that's different, you know, because yeah. in in his conscience and in ours as well. But uh, it doesn't even really matter here. But his conscience says, my job as a pastor in this body, in this local body, is to get everybody together and preach the word to them yeah. in person. Yeah, if he's convinced by Scripture that that's the case, then why would you appeal to? what the government says and say he's breaking the law and yeah. Uh, but that's the point we're trying to make is that when you say that no, he's not being arrested for preaching is being arrested for breaking the law. You're assuming that the government's definition of what preaching is, is valid. And yeah. our first point on this, go back and listen to our podcast on sphere authority is the government has no right no. to tell a church what the preaching of the gospel is to, to define and expand upon what that looks like. Um, so for Pastor James and Orthodox Christians uh, throughout time and space and culture, the preaching of the gospel is with the gathered assembly. Mm-hmm. And there are other places that we preach the gospel and other ways we do that, but this is the central practice of mm-hmm. the Christian church across denominations, creeds, all of these things. So again, if you have some novel ecclesiology, uh, then that's fine. But according to... James's ecclesiology, and I would say a biblical ecclesiology, and one that's practiced across cultures, yep. tribes, nations, and tongues, uh, the preaching of the gospel to the gathered assembly is the preaching of the gospel. And to forbid that is to forbid the preaching of the gospel. So they can't say, well, you could do it on Zoom, or you can do it with yeah. 10, or you can do it at 15% capacity. You know, we're not uh, stopping you from taking the Lord's Supper. Just do it on your own at your house. Exactly. 
Well, no, you don't get to say what that looks like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Daniel, you know, oh, you do, you can keep praying. Just you have to pray to me and yeah. only for 30 days and then yeah. I'll stop. And then you just, you know, just go along. You don't with have it. to stop worshiping Yahweh. You just have to bow down to the golden image as well. Yes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or to Caesar. Yeah. You could, you can worship Jesus. Yeah, of course. You just have to worship Caesar as well. Or I mean, uh, um, John Bunyan is such a parallel. Oh, yeah. And people don't know about John Bunyan. He spent years in jail. Is it nine or 16? He spent a long time. I don't know. It was a long time. But it was was about clothing. Well, that's what began. Yeah. So he was basically, to make a long story short, he was allowed to preach in the state-ordained church, but he wasn't allowed to preach in the church that disagreed with the state-ordained church that was gathering together. And he was arrested. It was legal to do so. Uh, to preach outside of the state ordained church. So he was arrested. He was told, look, you can go anytime. You just need to stop preaching to those people. Yeah. And this, the people who say these types of things, oh, it wasn't jail for preaching, but for disobeying the government, are the same people who would have looked at John Bunyan, and they are the same people. Yeah. And they would have said, well, they're not stopping you for preaching, John. Mm-hmm. You can go to this church and preach, and that church and preach. You, they actually aren't telling you you can't preach. Yeah. And it just, it just, a load of garbage. So yes. And even in this case, their specific words were, you have to stop being a pastor. Yeah. So I mean, it's kind of a moot point anyway, yes. because they told him, you know, you can't do your yeah. job. And the analogy I thought of is like, can you imagine you're, you're homeschooling your kids, right? And the government comes and says, homeschooling's illegal. Uh, you need to send them to public school. <laughs> like it is in many places. Yeah. Germany, I Germany, think. Yeah. And they want that here. Yep. And uh, there's at least severe restrictions in Quebec, um, mm-hmm. and it's increasing. So, and what if you say no to that, and then the government comes and takes your kids, and you say, wait a second, uh, I, I'm responsible. Th- my kids need an education. I'm responsible. Yeah. It's like, oh, they're allowed to have an education. Yeah. They can come to our school anytime. We're not stopping you from you're educating not, You're not kids. being arrested for being faithful to God. You're being arrested because you disobeyed the government. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah. and you're allowed to educate your kids. Yeah. We never told you you couldn't. It's like... Well, no, you don't get to determine what educating my kids looks like. Yeah, I get to determine that as a parent. And that's why the, the, the sphere authority thing comes into play here. Who gets to define what preaching is? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the government. So, yes, James was arrested for being faithful as a Christian. Another thing I hear people say is, oh, well, you can't appeal to the courts um, to make a ruling on these matters and whether or not they're constitutional and at the same time defy the legislation because that's hypocrisy. It's such a bunch of bogus. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's, it, on the surface it sounds plausible, but it's like, no. No, we believe in proper authority ordained by God. Yeah. So if the court is going to rule in concert with God's law, then we would, of course, agree with that and... and uh, well, the court. Coalesce, right? yeah, well, the point is that the court is not synonymous with the righteousness of God. No. So we would hope that the human courts, under God's law, would uphold righteousness, and we would appeal to them. But righteousness isn't set aside until the courts decide that that's okay. Mm-hmm. So Christians are not suspended from their duties to obey God and worship Him alone, while the courts decide whether or not that's okay. And we can appeal to the courts that they would uphold righteousness even while we uh, disregard their unrighteous rulings. There's no hypocrisy there. There's no contradiction. And yeah, that's another one that I've seen floating around. Um, What 
what this brings up, and there's a lot of people who came out to be very critical or totally silent on this issue. I mean, we were talking about this is this is picking up way more steam south of us. Yeah, um, big big ministries, big media companies picking this up, but not in in Canada. I think I think because of their culture and because of the constitution they have there, they're just more in tune to to liberty. Yeah, we just don't. We literally don't care as much. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah, they, they, I'm fine with letting the government do all this stuff for me. Yeah, yeah, and and we've talked before about why that is, and you know, being privileged and living in peace and having a naive view of people and people who have lived through conflict have a very suspicious view of authority and of those in authority want to limit their power and, uh, but Canadians just aren't like that. But what's this? What this is brought up to me is I'm not so concerned with the Canadian media, with the unbelievers. I'm concerned with um, the church. And I'm concerned that the church is, this is a revealing time. Mm -hmm. So what you think about Pastor James Coates is a really revealing thing about you. And I've seen in the last week or whatever, a lot of Pharisees, a lot of scoffers, and a lot of cowards. And I want to talk about that because the scripture talks about that. Jesus repeatedly throughout his ministry um, is drawing a line between kind of the counterfeits in true faith, the counterfeits in true belief, the true followers of God, and those who simply appear like they are. I thought maybe, uh, I don't know if you want to read it, Jer, yeah. but I, I quoted a brother who actually ministered yeah, in this China. Is, uh, this is a brother who goes to uh, Westmount Bible Chapel. Mm-hmm. Him and his wife are members there, and uh, they both ministered in China for a number of years. And, you know, you get to see persecution up close there. So this is something he, uh, part of something he wrote. Uh, What troubles me is the harsh rhetoric directed at Pastor Coates from others, especially from those who profess to know Christ. Let me ask you, how much careful study have you given to the topic of what does and does not constitute a church? Can you define a church's marks and works biblically? Would faithful believers from centuries past agree with your definitions? And here comes the final question. What if you're wrong? What if they're right? If Wang Yi and James Coates have both applied scripture correctly, then their sufferings and trials are stemming from faithful obedience to Christ. When you give approval to their persecutors, you are persecuting the Lord Jesus himself. Tread carefully. Yeah. And that's that was a good word, uh, brother, if you're listening to this. And I, when I read that, I was I felt like that's what we need to hear. And the tread carefully part. It's like this isn't this isn't a insignificant matter. And to stand on the side of the accuser of the brethren and to stand on the side of the persecutors of the church, if if he's right, that is what you're doing. Hmm. And uh, that is to stand against Christ. So I mean, one of the kind of characters we've seen float through the surface in time this time is a scoffer. And the scriptures speak a lot about scoffers. I mean, the book of Proverbs, there's so much written about the scoffer. And uh, Jesus himself faced scoffers. And and the New Testament says that there will be scoffers. A scoffer is someone who ridicules others in order to establish their own moral superiority and discredit the truth. So they don't actually have good arguments. They rely on rhetoric. It's the guy on, you know, Twitter that says, serves him right. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. putting people in danger. Serves them right. Yeah. It's like, eh, it's not an argument. It's not cogent. It's not anything. No. But you, you can tell there's a, a an air of self-righteousness yes. behind it. 
dismissive, yeah. discrediting people through your dismissiveness, you know, um, discrediting an argument be, by just not even dealing with it whatsoever. And and we read in Second Peter that this is going to happen in the church. The first of all scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their sinful desires. We see this in John the Baptist's ministry and in Jesus' ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. Right? You need to discredit the guy. Matthew yeah. eleven eighteen. Yeah, and the and the context of that is is Jesus saying to the to the leaders there, it doesn't matter what I say, you're going to disagree. Right? Yes. To what can I compare this generation? We played the flute for you, but but you did not dance. We sang a dirge. Uh, and you did not mourn. Yeah. It's like we could do, it doesn't matter what I say. Yes. You're going to disagree. Yes, exactly. And uh, John eight forty one, Jesus says, you know, he's talking to the Pharisees. Um, he says, you are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. They're criticizing Jesus. By, by the way, yeah, they're accusing him of being a bastard. Yeah, that's, 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 <laughs> that's exactly what they're saying. And John eight forty eight. Um, are we not right saying you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. This whole discourse, it's like they're completely ignoring everything he's saying. And all yeah. they're trying to do is discredit him yeah. and scoff at him. Uh, scoffers don't actually deal with arguments. They don't even defend themselves. They content themselves to lie and discredit those who confront them, those who they are inferior to, morally speaking, those they are envious of. And I've just seen so much of this going on online. And uh, it's a dangerous thing. The scriptures warn us against it. Um, These scoffers are often the Pharisees. Look, Jesus' ministry was short. It's three years. And it was characterized by conflict with the ruling religious and civil authorities. I actually had someone tell me this week that they were talking to a professing believer. And I think this person is a believer. But they're like, well, Jesus... Um, was Jesus never confronted the authorities? Huh? It's like huh? <laughs> it was the rulers and authorities to use Luke's language who crucified him. Yeah, like they were gathered here in this city against your anointed. You know the kings of the earth. Yeah. It's like no, no. Jesus only he, he, opposition he, he was authority. literally confronted every segment of the authorities every segment the pharisees the sadducees the scribes the herodians even the governor and pilot yeah, yeah to his face yeah <laughs> it's like uh, no that's wrong it's yeah. like it's like michael jordan couldn't really jump like what are you what are you talking about that's yeah. what he did what color is this guy in your world <laughs> <laughs> so um he was constantly in conflict with the Pharisees. And kind of the, the takeaway that I have for that is whenever there's a faithful ministry, um, and whenever that ministry challenges the authority of the rulers uh, with the authority of Christ and the virtue of the self-righteous with the character of Christ, they will be met with scorn, scoffing, and attack. I want to say that again because mm. people miss this. Whenever... A faithful ministry challenges the authority of the rulers with the authority of Christ and the virtue of the self-righteous with the character of Christ, they will be met with scorn, scoffing, and attack. I'm thinking about all of the uh, pastors who are doing Zoom church. Yeah. And I wonder how many of them brave, brave are guys. preaching preaching hard-hitting sermons on Romans 13. Yeah. Probably none. I mean, no. you can't you can't sit at home and preach 
a truthful sermon on Romans 13 no. and go to sleep at night. No. Um, I mean, again, we've talked about categories for not meeting in person. And yeah. There was a time we did that as well. Mm-hmm. But this has gone far enough now. We can we should be able to see what's actually happening. Yeah. But So James Coates is meeting in person and preaches a proper sermon on Romans 13 and actually calls the government uh, to account. Yes. That's the guy that's as in the jail. word of God does. They're not gonna. They're not gonna throw the guy in jail who's preaching some milk toast sermon on Romans no. thirteen, because it doesn't threaten their authority. No, and if you think someone telling the government of what their role and responsibility is by God, and affirming that we are to submit to that, but they are to they are also to submit to that role, and if you see that as defiant, rebellious, unsubmissive, mm-hmm. disrespectful. Uh, you have t- you have a tyrant in your blood. That's what it is. You are you are falsely accusing biblical respect, biblical submission, uh, biblical authority. Yeah, we've talked about this before, like Nathan confronting David. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine that? Yeah, just going and and you know risking your life to to tell the king that. Yeah, it doesn't matter who you are. You need to submit to God. Yeah, um, and I wanted to talk about this a little. Like we are going to be posting. Some email addresses. Yeah. We hope people get in touch with the leaders out there. Uh, but we we kind of need to talk about what sort of uh, tone, what kind of tact mm-hmm. we should take. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, I think it's uh, I think it's really important seeing how I mean seeing how the example of Nathan or others how they dealt with it in Scripture. Yeah, I think we need to talk also about what scripture says about leaders. I think, yeah. we need, I think you need to quote Psalm 2. I think you need to 100%. quote uh, these these psalms that call them to account, right? If we just go to them with some completely secular uh, nonsense that doesn't have the biblical foundation under it, then mm-hmm. I don't think we're being true to our, our message because we believe what we believe about their authority based on scripture. So right. we, we can't appeal for them to abide by by uh, by the law, unless we appeal to that higher law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and thinking about how we talk to them, again... You don't have to be snide. No, you don't have to be snide, but like Canadian values and your own temperament are not the word of God. Mm-hmm. So you need to subject the, your words and your tone, the way you speak to scripture. And I have, a, I have a saying I tell people often, I try not to be godlier than God. And there's a way of sounding very pious that would actually make Jesus a sinner. And I think when you start to do that, there's a problem. We're preaching through Acts. I mean, Acts 4. Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin, the rulers, right? Which he calls them. Rulers and elders of the people, including the civil authority and the police, the temple guards. They quoted Psalm 2 to them, by the way. They quoted Psalm 2. Yep. (laughs) That's amazing. I actually nation's rage. (laughs) Yes. And uh, basically, uh, the... Some of the people there denied the resurrection. That's probably why they're in this pinch. They don't like them preaching the resurrection, right? And he actually says, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked so he was healed, then know this, which is somewhat backhanded, right? Because they're not actually, they didn't say we're bringing you here for an act of kindness. Yeah. But he's being backhanded towards them. And he uses an opportunity to say, to let you know you and everyone else in Israel is by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified and God raised from the dead. He's accusing them of heinous sin. Mm -hmm. And he's telling them that their whole theology is wrong because he was raised and there is a resurrection. Mm -hmm. So kind of a backhanded comment, forthright. 
accusing them of gross sin, heinous sin, and uh, telling them that their theology's off. Now, he didn't do it in a way that was, he didn't say more than that. Yeah. Um, But he did say that. As you mentioned, you quote Psalm 2. Like you, you, I love the mother. As they get get back together, yeah. Um, Rulers be warned. Kiss the son lest he become angry and you perish in his wrath. Like, that is not disrespectful. No, it's not. That's that's what God says to the rulers of the world. That's what God says. <laughs> and what does God do at the raging of the nations? Does he plead with them? Does he beg them? Does he politely ask them? What does, well, what does God actually do? Why don't I read it for you? Read Psalm 2. Psalm 2. We'll read the whole thing. Maybe we'll get one of your kids down. They probably have it memorized. Right? <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> I don't have it memorized. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Jesus, owns, Jesus owns the nations. Yeah. yeah. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, warning people about the wrath of God is not unloving and disrespectful. Telling people that they are under authority, that they're raging against God, he scoffs at that. Mm-hmm. He, he laughs at them. He derides them. Uh, is not disrespectful. It's actually disrespectful for them to rage against God. It's disrespectful for authorities to abuse their authority and mm-hmm. to tell them so is actually not. It's disingenuous for us to to uh, confront them on any other grounds. Yeah, because this is what we believe. Yeah, exactly. So I think Christians need to get used to that because there's a tone and there's a message. There's a, there's the message of Christ is Lord uh, that the Canadian Church just for all they say about that they don't mean it. Um. We look at these people and what they've been saying. I mean, you see the Pharisees were envious. This is what even Pilate, Pilate looked at them and he said, you know, <laughs> it's because of envy that these people are seeking yeah. to have them. Like he saw the play that was going on. Yep. And uh, and and what, what envy does is envy is threatened by true righteousness and virtue. And what a lot of guys are doing right now is they're looking at a real pastor showing real conviction uh, preaching from a real message from a real Bible, and they're threatened by that, mm-hmm. and they want to squelch all, you know, any following of that. They want to discredit him. Uh, they want him silenced. They don't want to recognize anything because when a when a true man of righteousness shows up, it reveals just the the nature of our own rags, mm-hmm. right? And we need to instead praise God that there are men in our nation who love him and who love people enough and who do not live uh, for the praise of men. I mean, we were quoting Lewis and I just feel like the church is filled with, with men with a chest, 
You know, we make men with a chest. We expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful, but we laugh at honor. Yeah. And so many guys are doing that. They're looking at an honorable man doing an honorable thing who should be honored among us. Uh, and instead, we laugh at it. Mm-hmm. We scoff at it. We seek to discredit it. And that that's just so sad and concerning. And uh, the church needs we, the church needs to repent. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. The church needs to repent. And we can. Yeah, by and, God's and, grace. And, and God will forgive us yeah. right, for all of us yeah. uh, who have not shown the spine that uh, we should have. But it's, it's not too late. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for pastors throughout the land that they will stand up. Yeah. Right. Um, Look at Peter. Yeah. Look at Peter. Like I was just reading about Peter, right? And Peter's the one who, despite Look at his bravado, all the disciples, they all yeah. went and hid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Peter was in Scripture such a coward, and Jesus knew that was coming. He's like, "Hey, man, you talk a big game, but you're going to fail, and you're going to fail three times, not once." So there's no mistake. You didn't have a slip of the tongue. You didn't just know know what to say. It's like you're a coward. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've prayed for you, Jesus says. And when you turn, strengthen your brothers. Yeah, And it is an amazing thing. Look, I remember being convicted of this in March, April or whatever, that I was just going along with things, that I was nervous about questioning the narrative, that I was nervous about being that guy and losing the respect of people that I respect. And I had to repent of that. And God is merciful and God is gracious. And God takes Peter, who's just a straight up coward, um, it makes him a rock in the church and sends him before the rulers and authorities. Yeah. It's an amazing thing that he got up and he got a round two. Yeah. And I want to say to Canadian pastors that you can have a round two. Yep. Canadian Christians, you can hear what I'm saying and you can either harden your heart and say, how dare you? You can say, God have mercy on me, a sinner, and I can assure you God will have mercy on you. Mm-hmm. And he can strengthen lambs to become lions. And he can give courage and boldness to weak, pathetic, cowardly people like us. In fact, only he can give courage yes. to pathetic, weak people like us. Yes. So I know what I'm like. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I, I know what you're like. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Actually, we don't know each other that well. But you can probably <laughs> guess what I'm like. <laughs> I, got all, I got all sorts of cowardice, as I'm sure we all do. Yes. And, there's only one way around that, right? You're not going to find that deep within yourself. That's got to come from the Lord. Yeah. I just want to maybe close with uh, 2 Timothy 1, 8. And um, this is such a great passage. I would encourage Christians to spend some time here. I mean, we're thinking in the background, Jesus warning, whoever's ashamed of me and my words of him, will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in glory? And you know, it's like, oh, I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus. That's a big deal. It's like, how do I know I'm ashamed of Jesus? Well, we go on to realize to be ashamed of his ministers and his servants for their suffering is to be ashamed of Christ. Yeah. I think it just takes some real soul searching and humility. Yeah. You know, I remember a time uh, where, I don't know, you've probably had this experience. You're sitting in a service, maybe the pastor's Mm. preaching from Romans 8 or Romans somewhere else uh, and you know some topic hot topic comes up and you're mm. like oh i hope he doesn't read that verse yeah you know that feeling oh yeah like, oh it's gonna get awkward in here yeah 
that that shows something about your heart mm. and that's something we got to turn from right if if there's anything in scripture that makes us go oh i mm-hmm. wish i wasn't i wish you would skip that yeah you know and it's the same with this if you if if you hear what Pastor Coates is, is saying out there and you say, oh, I just wish he wouldn't say it like that. Yeah. Maybe take a look at your heart. Yeah. Maybe you're ashamed of the message. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, well, you wish Jesus wasn't crucified. Like yeah. there's, there's the gospel comes into conflict with the world, no matter yeah. how righteous you are. So he says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. It's like, well, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the testimony of the gospel. It's like, well. But that Paul guy, I don't know. Yeah, that Paul guy. <laughs> but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So how do we know if we're going to be ashamed of Christ? Well, we'd be ashamed of his ministers. And well, how do we know if we're ashamed of his ministers? Well, if we're unwilling to share in suffering. And notice that the suffering here is to be on the receiving end of shame. It's not having your head cut off. It's, 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 um, it's being persecuted for the gospel. And this is what Jesus tells him, right? Like, blessed are you when you're persecuted, when people revile you and, and utter all kinds of falsehoods against you. And persecution is not just violence. It's actually just reviling, scoffing, shaming. Um, and, and this was part of Paul's suffering. And you know who was ashamed of him, which hurt the most? The church. He says, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Oh, no, you don't, Paul. You suffer because you disobeyed the Romans. Well, he wouldn't have suffered if he was preaching the gospel of Artemis. Yeah, you know <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh no, they didn't. No, no, you're not suffering for the gospel. You're suffering because you broke the law. He says at the end of this, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. And he goes on to say, uh, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Right, and the and honestly, the church is divided into two kinds of people. And we need to be the kind of people who are not ashamed of Christ, who are not ashamed of those who suffer for his name, who are not ashamed of their imprisonment, who are not ashamed of their chains. And what that means is we need to not cower before uh, the criticism that they face, right? Why is he in change? Well, he's been convicted of something. You know, it's like, well, I'm not ashamed of change. It's like, no, you're, you're ashamed to acknowledge him because of the people who put the chains on him. Mm-hmm. That's what he means. And we need to be those who are not not ashamed. Yeah. I think of the historical context here too. So if, if there was a persecution happening to Christians, uh, the way jails worked back in the day, you, the government didn't feed you while you were in jail. No. If you didn't have money or didn't have a benefactor, you would starve. Yeah. So one way they would root out the Christians is, well, this guy's a Christian and whoever comes and brings him food, they're probably Christians too. So we'll ask them as well. So there's an element of that, like the people that wouldn't share in his suffering were the people that they weren't supporting him in his suffering because they were probably afraid of being arrested as well. Yeah. But they would secretly support him. Yeah. Right? It's like, well, I'm not even being critical of him. It's like, well, we need to be publicly supportive and we need to be willing to bear the cost of that. Yeah. And I know I've been convicted by that and just, 
you know, he's not going to hear it, but just praise God for Pastor James. Praise God for his faithful elders. Praise God for Grace Life Church, for his wife, um, his wonderful children. And uh, praise God that we have such honorable men in our country. And may God be pleased to bring repentance to the scoffing, to the Pharisees, to the yes. cowards. Amen. And may he be pleased to raise up uh, a faithful bride. Well, that's our segment on the truth. And we're going to go on to something good now. My good thing. For, do we have a beautiful thing today, by the way? We're going we're gonna to just leave it. You're going to put oh, okay. some music in at the end. <laughs> okay. Some I can decide, decide after the fact what kind of music to put in. Um, I got this book called uh, The Amazing Dr. Ransom's Bestiary of Adorable Fallacies, A Field Guide for Clear Thinkers by Douglas Wilson and N.D. Wilson. Nice. It's fantastic. It's sort of a... Um, a comedy version of their uh, logic textbook. Yeah. So they they give all these logical fallacies for you to be able to uncover, and it's all done with uh, these uh, this character, Doctor Ransom, and all these cute little uh, animated drawings that are uh, the they're the bad guys. They're they're the fallacies. So I'm going to read a bit from the first one, which is the ad hominem fallacy, which of course is when you just discredit someone's argument by calling them a bad name. Yeah. All right. Like a Pharisee. Yeah. (laughs) This little fallacy, known widely as the ad hominem, is known to a few explorers as the pit spitter. This comes as a surprise to many because most of the time, the pit spitter is a cute little furball. Until its will is crossed, that is. When provoked, it springs into action and up it goes onto its hind legs. Back arched, four paws raised behind its head, whereupon it then spews and spits two streams of foul and vile vapor upon the offending party from swollen glands of distilled resentment kept hidden and festering in its armpits. Once the offending party has been sufficiently bathed in stink, the little pit spitter quickly reverts to its previous posture, cocks a deceptively innocent and judgmental eye, and leaves the surrounding world to blame its victim for the overpowering stink. Anyway, it's really it's really funny. This this guy looks kind of like a little squirrel, but then he jumps up in these little vapor. Stink. But we need clear thinking today. <laughs> we do, and it's it's actually a really helpful book uh, if you're not familiar with uh, logical fallacies and that sort of thing. It actually gives you the real answers. Mm. It just does it in a really entertaining way. So I'd encourage everybody to pick up a copy of that. I, can I just give a shout out to uh, John Bunyan? I feel like we need to as oh, well. Man. And uh, Pilgrim's Progress. It is so great. Yeah. There's so, a there's a great audio version of that on Audible that I've listened to probably two or three times oh, in the nice. last couple of years. Tony Ranke from Desiring God did a updated translation oh, yeah? and a great introduction. Okay. And it's a nice form factor too. A nice typesetting. I would encourage people to check that out. People don't know. Um, he wrote this when he was in prison mm-hmm. and for not going along with the government regulations. And uh, it went on to be the second most printed book in the world. It still it's, is to this day next is, to the yeah. Bible. Yeah. And uh, had a huge influence on people's faith and helping to understand the Christian life as a pilgrimage and a the, journey the, yeah. and the suffering and the temptations. And- the clarity of thought in it. I mean, yes. every chapter is sort of a different temptation, a different... Yes area of the Christian life and every chapter you're like, that's me. Yes. That's me. Yes. That's me. <laughs> yeah. So but it's we need very to, encouraging. We need to commend that to people as well. Hmm. We'll definitely commend that. Maybe we'll read some of that next week on episode number eight. For the beautiful, well I'm gonna have to pick something out when I get home. I'll play you something real nice as we're leaving. But uh I'll just leave you with this. 
Matthew 10, 33. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. These are sobering words. Let's go and examine ourselves. Until next time, it's Jeremy and Alex at the Dominion Podcast. Uh, can the panel please recite a poem that they learnt by rote at school and how this has been useful in their subsequent careers? But I'll do you a poem as well because I've been asked to into my heart uh, an air that kills from yon far country blows what are those blue remembered hills? What spires, what farms are those? It is the land of lost content I see it shining plain those happy highways where I went and cannot come again. And I'm very pleased. I'm very pleased that my head is full of things like that and also lots of of hymns which I remember. And I feel very sorry for anybody who hasn't had the chance to learn them. And I think it is a great condemnation of our school system that so few people, and particularly only those whose parents are rich, can actually afford to have their children taught things like that and have their minds furnished with beauty for the remainder of their lives. And to, to pour scorn on it and to say that it is, it is unimportant is, is to declare yourself a spiritual desert. Of course people need these things and what's more, they're, they're a profound part of being British. If you don't know the literature and the poetry and the music of your own country, then you aren't really fully conversant with its history or its character. You're, you've lost touch with what your ancestors knew and you won't be able to pass it on to your own children and grandchildren. Of course these things should be taught. I really do think it would be a good thing. I also think that people should not, should, particularly teachers, should not say that these things don't matter. They matter immensely.